Well, welcome. It is good to see you all this morning, and it's good to hear everybody fellowshipping and saying hello. And let's see if this thing is working. Excellent. Okay, it is. Well, um, it is uh, excellent to see you here this morning. This morning, our, our title is uh, A Warning to Teachers. And so this is kind of an interesting message. Uh, James is going to tell us that not many people should be teachers. And just so you know, we will have a sign up in the back for more people to sign up to teach because we could use some more teachers. Um, no, you know, I just, I want to just start by this morning by just thinking about and asking you to think about, can you think about people who have taught you things, who have invested in your life lessons that you're very thankful for? I think about the people that have invested in me. I think about my first job that I ever had was at a restaurant washing dishes. First, I started washing pots. I actually got promoted to be able to wash dishes. And, uh, but, you know, the, the boss in that, in that restaurant, man, he made us work so hard for minimum wage. I started it. Uh, my training wages was two ninety dollars an hour. And, uh, and we used to have to work so hard. And all the, all the dishwashers, we'd get together and we'd say, man, that guy, he just makes us work so hard. He never thanks us for anything. He doesn't appreciate anything. He wants us to work hard from the moment we get there until the moment we go home. And so we all talked about that, and we just thought, this is ridiculous. When will he say thank you? Hey, sit down, eat something, get a drink, relax for a while. And he never did that. He expected us to work from the moment we got there till the moment we left. And I remember one time I thought, okay, I am going to do all the work so that he says, all right, you can uh, you go, go sit down. There's nothing else for you to do. So I washed the pots, and then I washed the dishes, and I was doing all the side work, cutting up the potatoes and just doing all the work all around. And I saw him in the kitchen. He's, like, throwing some pans on the stove and throwing, throwing some food in there and trying to burn it on there, but he didn't have enough time, and so he'd take that pot back, and I just washed it off, and it was totally clean. And I thought, okay, I've got everything done. And as soon as I was done, I'd go say, do you have anything else for me to do? Do you have anything else for me to do? And, and finally, there's like nothing left to be done. I cleaned the bathrooms. I cleaned everything. And he says, uh, scrub the ceiling. <laughs> I realized at that moment, this guy's not going to, I'm not going to win this one. But I thought about this later. Um, any of you guys have kids that struggle to clean their room or clean the bathroom or, you know, you send them in to do stuff? I realized how after leaving that restaurant, I knew how to work. One of the things I am so thankful for, I look back in my life, I am so thankful for what I learned working for that man. And I think about the other lessons, and, and the most important lessons that we learn in life are actually the spiritual lessons. It's understanding who God is. It's understanding what God has said about life. And I think about all the Sunday school teachers that taught me things, that invested in my life, people that I probably don't even actually remember. In my early years of ministry, right after I became a Christian, uh, I was invited to help out in a youth ministry, and I remember the youth pastor there coming alongside me and just uh, bringing me and another gentleman who were new believers, bringing us in and just sitting down with us and reading the Bible with us and talking to us about things that were going on in our life, helping us to memorize Scripture and I am just so thankful. I remember years later in ministry, the, one of the first times that somebody came up to me and said, hey, will you disciple me? I had no idea what that was. But I just thought, okay, I don't really know what that is or what I'm supposed to do. 
but what did this guy do with me? <laughs> I actually went and got the same book, and I read the same book through with them, and I had them memorize Scripture the way he was helping me to memorize Scripture. And I just think about the contributions and the investments that people have made in my life, and I am so thankful for those things. Uh, spiritual teachers, man, what a blessing, what a privilege it is. I remember Michelle and I, when we were newly married, and in ministry, these, these parents got together and, and they said, hey, Roger's kind of having a hard time in youth group and all the parents are kind of criticizing him. And so let's, the four of us, let's get together and let's become a friend and let's encourage him and let's support him and let's help him learn what he should be doing. And these, these two couples came along, Michelle and I, we actually were in a marriage Bible study with them. And so we'd get in fights during the week, and then we'd go to this marriage Bible study, and we'd, all, we'd talk about it. And what was amazing is a lot of times the homework for that Bible study is what would get us in fights. <laughs> but I think about the, the parenting things that I learned and that people, just the way people invested in my life and how thankful I am for that. You know, this morning, as you think about uh, Hebrews 13, 7, we're going to be talking about teachers. And I would just like you to think about who are the people in your life who have taught you? When we think about this church, you know, this, this does apply to pastors, but this, these two verses don't just apply to pastors. They actually apply to every single person who's going to teach in the church. So let's just think for a second about who those people are. Think about the life group leaders um, in this church. Think about the Sunday school teachers that are over teaching Sunday school right now. Think about the youth director, the youth leaders. Think about the, the folks who teach in the, in the men's and women's breakfasts. Think about the, the people who lead the men's Bible studies and the women's Bible studies. Those are all teachers. Th those are the people that we should be thinking about this morning. That's who this, this passage is referring to. And it's really a kind of a sober warning as we consider this and I want to just go even farther and say, I think to some degree, every single one of us is a teacher. If you have kids, you're a teacher. Have you ever had a friend that you gave some advice to? Well, you're a teacher. And so as we think through teaching, as we think through our, our influence, the way we influence people, this morning's Two verses are something that are a sobering reality, something we should think very carefully about. And I think uh, many of us should be careful in becoming teachers. And to some degree, uh, the more people you teach, the more you're accountable for. And so that's, we're all going to be teachers. We all need to take this to heart. But we need to be careful about aspiring to and wanting to teach people, understanding what a serious thing that is. So Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. I'm very thankful for the leaders that God has put in this church, those people who have stepped up and made big sacrifices and who have cared about us and taught, about, taught us. And I'm thankful for those people that the Lord has used in my life in that way. And we need to think about that and consider what a big responsibility that is. So this morning, um, we're going to basically see three things. The first one is not everybody should be a teacher. In fact, there should be, when a person asks you to teach, there should be a, a sense of, well, I don't know if I should do that. Um, 
should I really do that? You should be very careful before you step into that position. Have you ever heard that, that old phrase, fools rush in where angels fear to tread? And teaching is something that should be fearful for us. And so not everybody should be a teacher. And the second thing we're going to see is that teachers are judged more strictly. And that's one of the reasons that we shouldn't all be teachers, because who wants a stricter judgment? And so we're going to talk about why that is. And the third thing this morning is that we need to be people who are praying for our teachers. These are people that love us. These are people that, that are sacrificing and spending time to teach and they need prayer. What a tragedy if a person loves us, cares about us, is sacrificing for us, but because they mishandle God's word, they bring judgment into their life. We need to pray diligently for the people who teach us. So as we consider the message of James, James is talking about the reality of faith, and he's encouraging people to consider that people are made in God's image and to live in reverence before God. And so he talks about trials and just says, hey, trials are good because God is using those to perfect your character. And then temptation, temptation is something that comes from within you. It's not just something that was without. We need to be so careful because we carry around with us this weakness towards sin. So we need to be careful and understand temptation. Uh, he goes on and he just says, we need to have a humble response to God's word, to humbly receive God's word implanted, which is able to save our souls. And then he talks about how that shows itself in behavior. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, he says this. Let's read it together. James 3, 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And then verse 2, this is like kind of a terrifying thing, right? When you put these two verses together. For we all stumble in many ways. If one does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. So <laughs> James is saying, you better be careful. Don't become a teacher because you're going to have a stricter judgment. But by the way, nobody can control what they say. Uh, if you could control that, you could control your whole body. You're, you're a mature person in every way if you can deal with your tongue. So this, this whole idea, as we look at this, let not many of you become teachers, this is actually phrased in a way when he says, don't do this. People were doing that. People wanted to teach. Everybody wanted to be a teacher. They were looking, hey, how can I be in that position of being a teacher? And so James is writing to these people saying, all of you guys are rushing into the lion's den. Stop doing that. So he actually tells them, slow down, take a step back, be careful before you rush into that position. And then he says, for you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, it's interesting that he doesn't actually even explain why. He just says, this is common knowledge. You know you'll be judged more strictly. So then the question we ask ourselves is, well, how is this common knowledge? And I'll bet that if you've been reading the Bible for a while, I could say, make a list of why teachers get judged more strictly. And I'll bet you could all come up with it. 
It's all throughout the Old Testament. It's all throughout the Gospels. It's all throughout the New Testament. Why teaching is such an important position. Now, this is interesting uh, because in one sense, every Christian is called to be a teacher, right? I mean, let's just think about what is the call. Let me just put one. Not everybody should become a teacher, but what about Matthew 28, 19? Are we not all supposed to be disciple makers? Aren't we supposed to disciple people? In fact, it says here, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I am with you even to the end of the age. How about parents? Every parent is supposed to be a teacher. It says in Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, and, so, and that, that is talking about fathers, but it applies to mothers too. It says, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. We are told to teach. How about Colossians 3.16 is talking about everybody in the church. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So, like this is one of those themes throughout the morning. We start by having God's word dwell in us. Teaching and admonishing one another. So that's actually something that we're all supposed to do. We're all supposed to give each other advice. We're all supposed to speak into each other's lives. If you're a Christian and you have a Christian friend, it's our job to talk to each other. Sometimes we mind our own business in the wrong ways. We're supposed to be looking and seeing our brothers and sisters who may be struggling. We're supposed to come alongside, encourage, guide with God's word. And so this is something we're all told to do. But then, James says, let not many of you become teachers. So we're all supposed to do it. But, we, but it, it's, it's hard enough to be accountable for the people that God puts close to us without saying, hey, I want to be up front. I want to have lots of people that I speak to and teach. That's something that we should approach with reverence. And that's one of the things we need to think through. So why is this? That he says, let not many of you become teachers. And I would say it's because what we do as a teacher is so important. And we're going to look at a few of these things, but think about the Apostle Paul. For 14 years, the Apostle Paul is trained by Jesus. When he talks about his gospel, he says, I didn't receive it from men. It was delivered directly to me. So Paul becomes a Christian on the road to Damascus, and then he goes out into the wilderness where Jesus trains him. And then in his ministry, 14 years later, there arises this theological controversy, and Paul's having this debate about it with some people. And this is how seriously Paul takes getting it right. He, look at this in Galatians chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me, and I went up because of a revelation and sat before them, though privately before those who seemed to be influential. So he's talking about James. This is in Acts chapter 15 where he goes up before James over this theological controversy. And those are the influential people that the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. 
there's this debate over his teaching, and he says, I went and submitted myself to James and to Peter and to the other apostles to say, hey, is, is what I'm teaching right? I don't want what I'm teaching to be wrong. And so it was this commitment to get it right. And when you think about the instructions that the Apostle Paul gives to people who teach and to Timothy, look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. It says, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. Sound words, those are healthy words, words that bring spiritual health. And so he's saying you are supposed to follow this pattern. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to our Christian life, when it comes to things that we teach in Sunday school or advice that we give our friends, we don't get to just make things up. We take the things that we've learned and we carefully pass those on faithfully. The, the message of the gospel is not something that belongs to us. It's something that belongs to God, and it's something that we have been entrusted with. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6 The Apostle Paul says that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. And it is required that a steward be found faithful. And then he goes through this this section, and in verse 6, he says, I'm using Apollos and myself as an example so that you will learn not to go beyond what's written. Um, There are some times that theological debates, controversies, things like that, and a lot of times people just like, they kind of like to imagine things. I remember when I was in uh, uh, my Old Testament survey class. So I'm a new Christian, just go away to master's college, and we're discussing Genesis. And I thought, hey, this is interesting. You know, the snake speaks. And I think as a kid, I probably uh, read a lot of, or had read to me C.S. Lewis, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia. And so I'm in class, and I'm just, my imagination's kind of running wild. I'm thinking, hey, you know, I wonder if animals could speak before the fall. You got the, st- the snake speaking. You got the donkey that speaks to Balaam. Maybe all the animals could talk. And I'm kind of picturing, you know, the things that I read in uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And, and the teacher was so gracious. He's just like, yeah, Roger, that's not, how we, that's not how we approach theology and spiritual truth. We read carefully what the Bible says. And you know what? It doesn't say that. And so sometimes some of us can just let our imaginations run wild with different kind of theological beliefs or things about spiritual things. And Paul is saying no. He says this in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, handling rightly the word of truth. So we need to be a people that take this teaching thing seriously, that we understand that we don't make up our own stuff. We just take the Bible, we read it, we understand it, we teach it. And we need to do this with a reverence for God. So a person should not be a teacher if it's all about them. You should only teach if it's something that you can do out of reverence for God. 
You know, that's what Isaiah 66.2 says. It says, these things, all these things my hand has made. And so these things came to be. So God's just saying he has made the world. But to this one whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. If you're not a person who has reverence for God's word, you shouldn't teach other people. If you're the kind of person that you think, when you're reading a passage, what do I want this to say? And then you figure out a way to make it say what you want. You should not teach. I'll never forget the time that I was um, listening to a person preach on a really controversial passage. It was a passage in Hebrews where it just talked about tasting the heavenly gift and, and the Holy Spirit. And, and it's just this warning about people who at one point know and then they fall away. And there's this whole debate about, is that a Christian? Was it not a Christian? It kind of sounds like it could be a Christian. There's these really spiritual things there. And so these, there's these two different views. And so the person takes the position that that is talking about a genuine believer, that if they fall away, then they can never be renewed again to repentance. And I just think, you know, that's interesting because verse 9 of that passage the author actually specifically says who it's to. It says, but I'm con convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation. So right there he says, this is not talking about people who are saved. And so the person teaching this passage takes the other view, and I'm just going, wow, I wonder what he's going to do with that verse. And he actually stopped his sermon, never, never talked about it. And I thought, well, that's interesting. But the thing is, he was preaching through the whole passage. And so I'm just thinking, well, <laughs> next week, I wonder what he's going to do with that verse. And so, I mean, I'm eager. I'm, I, I can't wait to hear it. And guess what? We get to church the next week. He started at verse 10. Totally skipped verse 9. Do you have any idea how many people approach Scripture and they just cross out the things they don't like? They use one verse to cross out another verse. And, and as you think about that, even last week with, um, with James, where he's saying that a person is justified by works. So first we understand that in its context, but we don't just use another verse to cross it out. We say, what is James saying? Do I understand it correctly? And then we compare it with what is said in other places. And we don't use one verse to cross out another we understand both verses are true, so in what sense are they true and how do they fit together without changing what either says? And if you're going to be a teacher, you need to be a person who approaches Scripture with reverence, with care, that is willing to set aside any personal preference that you have and just says, hey, if this is what God says, then this is what I'll do, this is what I'm going to obey. You know, Jeremiah when God speaks to Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah, um, you, I'm choosing you as a spokesperson. Don't make excuses for who you are, verse seven, chapter 1, verse 17. You just go say exactly what I tell you to say. And then in verse 17, so verse 70 says that, verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, don't be afraid of the people you're speaking to. He says, don't be dismayed. Because if you are dismayed by them, I will dismay you. And so basically God just says, Jeremiah, I'm giving you a message. You deliver it how I tell you to deliver it. And don't be afraid of the people you're speaking to. 
because if you're afraid of them, you better be afraid of me. That's what God tells Jeremiah. You better say exactly what I tell you to say. Ezekiel chapter 3 and also in Ezekiel chapter 33, he tells Ezekiel, you are a watchman. I'm going to give you a message, and it is your job to warn people. And if you don't warn people, I will hold you responsible. So then he goes through this, and he, he says it from both angles, you know, actually like four times in the book of Ezekiel. But he says, if you warn a sinful man and he turns from his sin, good, that person will be blessed. If you warn a, a sinful man and he fails to repent, he's going to be judged but I won't hold you responsible because you warned him. But if you were supposed to warn him and you kept the message to yourself, I will hold you responsible. So when James is saying to people, hey, you all know teachers incur a stricter judgment, these are the things that are just flooding into their mind. In fact, when you think about the things that God told Israel in the Old Testament about prophets, he says, you're always going to know a prophet that speaks for me because he's going to tell you the truth. If a prophet comes to you and says, follow a different God, kill that prophet. If a person does a miracle, a real miracle, and tells you, follow other gods, kill that prophet. There's another way you can know if a person's a false prophet in the Old Testament. If they ever made a prediction that didn't come true, kill that prophet too because God's never wrong about anything. So when a person says, I speak for God, and then they say something wrong, they don't speak for God. So, like, there's, there's kind of a seriousness all through the Old Testament of being a person that's a spokesperson that's going to say, I speak for God. Can you imagine just the, the terrible place of being in a position where you say, I speak for God, and then you say things God doesn't say? Or you say, I speak for God, and you fail to say the things he says you're supposed to say? See, the, 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 the Jewish folks in James Church uh, that he was writing to, they were aware of all these things. They took it seriously. You know, um, a lot of times people just make stuff up. And you know when you make stuff up, it doesn't help anybody? Any of you guys uh, remember Ahab and Jehoshaphat in 1 Kings 22? So basically what happens is Ahab's this wicked king of Israel, Jehoshaphat's king of uh, Judah, and they get together to go fight this enemy. And so um, they're getting together and they're saying, hey, shouldn't we talk to some prophets and find out whether or not we're going to win this battle? And so uh, Ahab gets 40 prophets and they all get together and they say, you're going to win. It's going to be great. God's going to deliver you. And Jehoshaphat says, um, hey, isn't there a different prophet we could get and ask him? And Ahab says, well, yeah, there, there is this other prophet, but I can't stand that guy because he never gives me good news. He always tells me bad news. So I don't want to hear what he has to say in Jehoshaphat's. No, we got to get that prophet too. So the, the servants go to get this other prophet, and they say, listen, all the prophets have prophesied good news. So you need to also prophesy good news. Come on, say good things to the king. And so the prophet goes and he says, uh, basically, you guys are going to lose the battle. And Ahab's like, see, I told you. Look what this guy does. So what he does, Ahab disguises himself and he tells Jehoshaphat, you ride off into the battle with your kingly uh, clothes on. 
And what the enemy had done is they had picked like their special forces people and they said, you are not allowed to fight anybody. You have one job and that's find Ahab and kill Ahab. That's, that's your one thing that you have to do. And so these, these guys, they're looking for a king. They see Jehoshaphat. They go find him. And right before they kill him, he cries out and they realize, oh, that's not Ahab. So they turn and they just go somewhere else looking for somebody else. In the meantime, Ahab has disguised himself and they can't find him. So this story says basically what happens, one of the enemy soldiers just has an arrow and he just like shoots it off into the air randomly. And that arrow goes and pierces Ahab right in the perfect spot between his armor and kills him. See, that's the thing. A lot of times people think that if they just take a verse and they read it and they say it means something that it doesn't mean, that it has power. Remember in Acts chapter 19, the exorcists, they're running around and they're saying to finding demon-possessed people and they're saying, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And the demon looks at him and he says, I know Jesus, I know Paul, but I don't know you. And then he jumps on them, he beats these guys all up and they run off naked. Some people approach the Bible superstitiously and without understanding it, without getting the meaning right, they just quote verses. They think they can throw whatever kind of meaning they want on it and somehow it will have power. God's word only has power when we understand it correctly, when we teach it correctly. And so we need to be very diligent and very careful about teaching God's word so here's the, the second thing. So number one, not everybody should be a teacher. If you're going to be a teacher, you need to take it careful, seriously. You need to make sure you get it right. So here's why teachers incur a stricter judgment. A couple things. First is that we are responsible to obey what we know. So if you're a teacher and you're studying and you're telling other people what they're supposed to do, you better make sure you do it. I remember as a, as a new youth leader telling the kids, you should read the Bible every day. And sometimes I felt a little hypocritical because I didn't read the Bible every day. It's a pretty serious thing to tell other people that God says you should do things and then not do it yourself. That's hypocritical. When you think about Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, Ezra says this. He's a good teacher. And it says, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. So Ezra was going to get it right and to practice it. So he studied it and he did it and then he taught God's statutes and rules in Israel. So we're to be people that study, that obey, and that teach. One of the things that it brings judgment on you when you proclaim something, when you know something and you don't do it. Uh, Jesus tells a parable and he says that the slave who knew the master's will and didn't do it will get many lashes. But the slave who didn't know the master's will and didn't do it, he'll get a few lashes. So you get lashes. The, the point of this story is you're getting lashes if you don't obey. So you should study and learn so you can obey. But if you know and you don't do it, there is a greater judgment and accountability in your life and so we need to be people who know and do what we're told to do the other thing that I find that happens is that when people don't obey scripture they don't teach it well 
Like I was thinking about my own struggles to, to read the Bible on a regular basis. And one of the things that sometimes I would be really hard on people when I was teaching, you should read the Bible every day, you should read the Bible every day, the whole time I'm not doing it. If you really are a person that's working hard to diligently obey what God says, it makes you soft-hearted and compassionate toward other people who fail, right? And you deliver God's message, but you do it with mercy because you're aware of your own weakness. The other thing is, there were certain things I just kept working on it and working on it, and I kind of figured out ways to be able to obey that. And then guess what? I was able to go to other people who are struggling and saying, hey, I know you're struggling with this, but guess what? I used to struggle too, and these are the things I did to overcome that. So you become a more effective teacher when you obey. You're soft-hearted, and then you also know how to do it, and you can help people walk the path that you've walked. And... Uh, Jesus talks about Pharisees, right? And he says, Pharisees are not going to heaven. In fact, he says to the Pharisees, unless you're better than them, you'll never go to heaven. He says, they go make a disciple, and once they make a disciple, they're twice as much a son of hell as they are. In other words, they're going to hell, and everybody they train, they're going to hell too. That's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. And one of the things he says about the Pharisees in Matthew 23 is he says this, then Jesus said to the crowds and the disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They want to be teachers. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but don't do what they do. They preach and they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with a finger. So Jesus takes very seriously obeying. So we need to make sure we get a stricter judgment if we don't do the things we know. We also get a, a stricter judgment because the things we teach influence people's lives. You remember when Jesus said, if anyone takes, uh, causes one of these little ones of mine to stumble, it would be better to have a millstone tied around his neck and thrown into the sea? See, when you teach bad doctrine, you are hurting people. When you teach people to do things or you are encouraging people to believe things that aren't true, that's spiritually harmful for a person. I remember when I was in Hebrew, my uh, beginning Hebrew teacher, at one point he was just saying, you guys really need to take your teaching seriously. You need to make sure you spend time studying. You need to be diligent. Make sure you have time. And at the time, my life was so overwhelmed. So I'm work working full-time in ministry. I have you know, two brand new little kids, and I'm trying to just to deal with everything. I'm trying to go to seminary. My life was so overwhelmed, and I thought, you know, a lot of times I just don't have time to study that much. And he just goes, Roger, um, do yourself a favor and do everybody in your church a favor. You should quit. He says, if you fail to teach people, if you're just entertaining them, if you're not teaching them, you're not just failing to help them, you are hurting them. And so that was like a, a really, I'm just like, wait a second, don't you know how hard it is to get through the day? And he's like, no, I'm serious. You need to study and teach people faithfully or get out of ministry. And, and that was an encouraging thing. It was helpful. It was convicting. And I thought, okay, I need to try to address this issue in my life. And so we need to make sure that we are people that take seriously teaching. Let not many of you become teachers, for in doing so you will incur a stricter judgment. 
we're responsible for the, the things that we say to people, for the things that we teach people. And the other thing it says here in verse 2, it says, for we all stumble in many ways. So this is a, a common struggle that we all have. We all fall short. We all sin. And whoever doesn't stumble in what they say, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. You know, Proverbs ten nineteen says, where words are many, transgression is unavoidable. So we are people who need to take seriously the responsibility that we have to teach. And that brings me to our third point. And here's where we'll end this morning. We need to pray for our teachers. They need prayer. We need to pray that the Lord will encourage them, help them to be faithful, help them to be diligent, to have a reverence and a fear for God. You know, when you pray for people who teach you and who teach your family, uh, when you, you should pray for your Sunday school teachers throughout the work week, the ones that are teaching your kids. On the way to church in the morning, you should pray for the people that are teaching. Praying for a Sunday school teacher, praying for a teacher, that's like praying for your doctor before surgery. The things that teachers do in your life, it is so important. And so we need to make sure that we're praying. We need to pray for sp spiritual faithfulness. There's a lot of people who don't teach truth. They don't teach things that are true because they've given way to sin in their own life. So then they just don't ever teach on those things. So we need to pray for spiritual faithfulness so that our teachers aren't judged, so that they'll do a good job. We need to pray that our teachers would be diligent in their study and in their preparation. So let not many of you become teachers, for in doing so you will incur a stricter judgment. But I want to just leave with this. The church needs teachers. The church needs people who are faithful to the Lord, who will honor the Lord, who will take that responsibility seriously, and who will do it. What an amazing privilege. And Ephesians chapter 4 says that we're all to be about the work of the ministry. It's not just for some people. And so um, the best way to ensure that you'll teach correctly, I'll give you some advice. Number one, just read the Bible. Start at the beginning, read it to the end, and when you're done, start over. The more you read it, the more the message of the Bible of, uh, as a whole will be a help and, and encouragement to you. Make sure that you are obeying it first and then teach others. And in every step, you ask God for help. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. And I just thank you for the incredible privilege of teaching. And Lord, for just the life that your word gives. Lord, the wisdom, the truth, the transforming power that is in your word. Lord, help us to be people that are diligent and careful. And that just read what you say that consider it, and then proclaim that to others. Lord, thank you for your grace and your kindness, and Lord, for your mercy. And I know that we all need your mercy because we fall short. We stumble in many ways. And so we just ask for your kindness and your help and your blessing in our life in your name. Amen.